Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. It's me, Kelly. You know it. I say it every week. I'm the owner of Modern Mystic Shop and your podcast host. Okay, we have another one of my personal friends that are teaching today, and I just love it when, you know, I can bring people from all over the country to come in to our shop and share with our Atlanta crew and then also our community at large some new perspectives and information. And I am so thrilled to have Mary Margaret Skelly here with us this week. It's just really incredible. Um, she, like I said, she's a personal friend, and I met her through my yoga community in L.A., and when we first met, she was working as a corporate recruiter in the finance and tech industries. So she was kind of like this fly on the wall, so to speak. And she got to soak up so much information about how big business creates their corporate culture and how they recruit their teams. And for me personally, it's been so exciting to watch Mary Margaret exit this industry and take her decade of experience to help women create a life in business that inspires them. So I've been lucky to watch this transition and it's been just such a joy. Currently, like I was saying, Mary Margaret Skelly is a career advisor and business coach. She inspires driven, conscious women to gain the energy, clarity, and creativity to do the work that they were meant to do. It's so incredible to see. Uh, she also edits the Archetypal Women series. So she profiles multidimensional women who are creating new and more expansive ways to live and work. And then she shares that through a blog on her website. And she has sourced some of the coolest, neatest women. It's so inspiring. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, in this class specifically, she explains how spirituality and metaphysics have been long at odds within the linear traditional workplace. We all know this, right? It's like, how do I fit my spiritual life and my spiritual being into the day-to-day -day work that I do that might not be so directly related? So what she says is if you're going to evolve, it's time to align those two things. So you don't have to quit your day job to be a beacon of higher consciousness. In fact, the world needs mystics and healers and spiritual people in every sector of society. I have been preaching this, the don't quit your day job. The world needs you guys everywhere. So she discusses how you can have a more elevated, expanded, and enjoyable experience of work in the work that you do today. This does not mean you've got to get up and move your and quit your job for your own benefit, and then the benefit of everyone else that's in your orbit. You guys, I recently I got to hear Mary Margaret uh, discuss this topic at Rama Institute of Yogic Science and Technology in New York, and I was blown away with her specific brand of genius. It's You have to listen up. Everyone here is doing some kind of work. You know, we're all working on ourselves. We're all working in industry. And this will give you all of the tools you need for the major mindset shifts to be really happy in whatever work you're doing, wherever you are. I cannot boast on Mary Margaret Moore. I love her to death. So I would, I'm so pleased to introduce her talk, Consciousness and the Workplace, Integrating Your Spirituality with Your Day Job with Mary Margaret Skelly. Crystal Shops. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming here on a Sunday. It's so nice to be in Atlanta. It's my first time. 
And everyone assumes I'm from the South anyway because of my double first name. So I, finally, I feel understood among you. So thank you very much for having me. Uh, and thanks, Kirsten, for the introduction. My name, as she said, is Mary Margaret Skelly. And I'm a career advisor and business coach, primarily for women. But my mission is to inspire driven, conscious people to find and excel in the work they're meant to do. And uh, my entire premise is that there is work out there that is suited just for you that you're meant to enjoy and excel at, and that is your birthright. And at times, it can be very difficult to figure out just how you're going to get there. But uh, what I've seen time and time again is that if you have the intention and you put one foot in front of the other in the right direction, you will get there. And it is one of the most selfless things that you can do. So I want to just take a moment to um, presence the fact that we have a room full of people who are interested in having more conscious working lives. The headlines are pretty grim. I don't have the chronology to confirm this, but I suspect they kind of always have been. But it does feel like we're in a really heightened time. And uh, when we have opportunities like this to gather in such a beautiful space, it's important to note that and to note that you're not alone. You're not the only one Googling weird alternative ideas late into the night <laughs> and wondering uh, how you can find more meaning and purpose in fulfillment in your day job. Um, not only you know, is this room full, but this will be turned into a podcast uh, with many listeners. So um, there is hope. There are many good people out there that I meet all over the country who are interested in the same thing. So let's keep that in mind. As a sort of case study, I'd like to tell you a little bit about how I got into my line of work. I think it's helpful. I think part of us wants to understand and believe that there is work out there that we're meant to enjoy. Um, and it can be difficult to know what that's going to look like. And the challenge is it is absolutely different for every single person. If there were one blueprint, you know, we would have fig all figured that out and we would all be um, you know, millionaires and bounding out of bed in the morning uh, ready to work. It's highly individual and that is the fun of it. But it can be helpful to hear about other people's paths and other people's journeys to find the work they love. And uh, the other thing is, these things aren't static. So we might find that, that line of work that we enjoy, and then a couple years later, we're, we're evolving so quickly now, and especially if you're on any kind of conscious or spiritual journey, you're always growing. And so it's important to stay in what sort of legendary executive coach Gay Hendricks calls your zone of genius, meaning that intersection of work that you excel at and that's serving other people. And so this is kind of an ongoing process. It's not static, like, okay, I have found my work now, no more problems. So it is an, it's an ongoing exploration. But to the extent it's helpful, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got here. By the age of 27, I was completely and totally burnt out. Most people wait for their midlife crisis, but I've always been an overachiever, <laughs> and so it happened to me early on. And there was a, a, it's been interesting to examine what led me to that point, because my story's not uncommon. And so I've spent a lot of time just kind of considering what, what might have gone so wrong. Um, and to that end, I'll start at the beginning, which is uh, with my parents. 
my dad was a lawyer who used to get into work around 3 a.m. every morning uh, so that he could be home at 5 p.m. with his five kids. And before you call him a workaholic, which he'll admit he was, um, that's really what the job required of him at the time, was those long hours. If he was really going to excel um, and meet the requirements you know, that, it, that his clients had of him and the expectations that the firm had of him, those were the hours he had to put in. That's pretty indicative of American business and now globally more and more the American way of life, of course, um, has seeped in. And so that was my model for what a working life looks like. Long hours, a total grind, Enjoyment just wasn't really a part of the equation. That was secondary. That really didn't matter. It was a duty and it was a responsibility. And so um, throughout high school, I, I got to be creative. I went to a smaller high school where I, believe it or not, joined the JV basketball team one year and was the captain of the swim team, even though my times were you know, nothing to write home about. But it was kind of that, that small um, school field. The expectations weren't incredibly high, and so you could kind of just be yourself. And it was, it was really great in many ways. And then I went to college. And I was surrounded by extremely high achievers um, who um, prioritized work and then to kind of blow off some steam when they weren't working, they were playing. And, and everything was done in a very aggressive way. And that's when I started to lose that sense of checking in with myself as to whether or not I wanted to do something or not. That was just completely secondary. Um, so when it came to looking for a job after college, all of us were really jealous of the accountants because they all had jobs lined up by September of senior year. We all kind of thought like, man, those accountants really have it figured out. <laughs> and, um, you know, by, as an English major, that wasn't the case for me, but there was a very prestigious nonprofit and I decided to apply um, solely because of the prestige. And after I graduated, there was one test that you had to take. That's where I was sort of conditionally accepted, and then I had to take a test. And uh, it, was, it was very serious, kind of like SAT vibes, where there was you know, a proctor, and, and everyone was very grim. And we took the test, and it was about an hour. And at the end, the instructor said, OK, just double check your answer sheet, and make sure that you wrote all your answers on the left side, or else this test is invalid. And of course, I had written all my answers on the right side, so the test was invalid. This was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Because the feeling of elation <laughs> that I felt when she said, your test is invalid, you can't be part of this program, essentially, you have to wait another year, uh, really stuck with me. I realized, like, it, it felt like freedom. And um, what did I do with it? I decided to go work as a paralegal in a law firm. <laughs> that was the most freeing thing that I could think of. Um, and so I spent six weeks there at a very um, uh, intense law firm in Chicago. I worked for a woman who had been given her own floor in a skyscraper in Chicago because she was so prickly, shall we say, that other lawyers didn't want to be, <laughs> didn't want their offices next to her. Um, she made a lot of money for the firm. She was very successful. She went through six secretaries in the six weeks that I was there. <laughs> and um, though I didn't see it, I heard a rumor that when she fired the last um, 
I should say assistant, although they called them secretaries at the time, um, she pulled her hair clip out of, the, out of her hair and threw it against the wall for emphasis. <laughs> so that was my first job. Um, and again, after six weeks, I realized, you know, this is not the environment for me. And in a way, I am being protected here. Um, and now I have an opportunity to go do something that maybe I, I might enjoy. Um, so I stumbled into a weird profession called executive search. And um, I worked for a firm that's one of five global agencies that places CEOs and other senior leaders and board directors at some of the biggest companies in the world. So the big Fortune 500 companies we've heard of and then big banks. And as a result, I was sort of a fly on the wall uh, interviewing some of the really most influential people in business. So from a young age, I was sitting in on these interviews, and then later, I was conducting these interviews with really kind of the titans of American and sometimes global business. And this was a job that I, um, that I was good at. I had a high EQ, and so I could read people really well. And when they walked into the room, I realized I could actually feel what they were feeling. So, you know, I did thousands of interviews, but before an interview, I would get really nervous. And I realized that that wasn't me. I'm not nervous to conduct this interview, but I'm feeling what this person's feeling. And I'm generalizing here. There are exceptions. But for the most part, after these interviews, I would feel completely drained. And I realized that that's because I was having conversations one-on-one -on -one, uh, with people um, who largely felt a sense of quiet desperation. And these were people who um, had, by mainstream standards, incredible high-paying jobs, um, a lot of influence, and a lot of power. But it was amazing to me that in many of the interviews, um, th the insecurity that would still come through, and, um, you know, I I in our line of work, a linear career path was, was very much prized. So, you know, for banking, maybe you spent, you know, two years at this bank, and then you do four years at this bank, and so forth. And for anyone who deviated even slightly, there was a deep feeling of shame. Or any woman who had taken time off, um, you could feel the shame in telling that story or, or the defensiveness. Um, it was a very intense, very high stakes uh, environment. And this was really like, this is the pinnacle of the business world and something wasn't sitting right with me. Uh, but I couldn't define what it was. Now, a, during this same time period, I, like a lot of people who find a spiritual or conscious path or who are um, steered toward that path, I was getting sicker and sicker. And by the age of 27, I had five different diagnoses and was no longer able to work. So, you know, my friends were getting married or buying houses or excelling in their careers, and I was basically living on my dad's couch back home in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, it did get so bad that I, that I had to leave work without a, another job, and I spent about a year uh, recovering. And this had started, I, I kind of muscled through my first 27 years. This had started early on. Um, 
I'm proud to call myself the first celiac <laughs> because in the year 2000, um, I was told I had celiac and, and you know had to go gluten-free and was forever after known as gluten-free girl. I still get texts from friends I haven't talked to in years and they'll say, this restaurant has a gluten-free menu, isn't that so cool? So that's kind of how people knew me. <laughs> I don't think I was the first, but it was early days. Um, and just kind of like very hard to diagnose, just um, seemingly disparate, but probably connected weird symptoms. And um, for those who are keeping score, <laughs> or if this resonates, um, like I said, by the age of 27, I had Hashimoto's thyroid disorder, um, was diagnosed with celiac disease, um, with fibromyalgia, which made me feel ancient, <laughs> um, and then just severe anxiety and depression. I mean, I would go nights, I would go three days in a row sometimes without sleeping. I, it, it was um, not fun. <laughs> and um, I had been to 30 specialists around the country, including the, the, um, a clinic that is known for taking a, a quote-unquote holistic look at the full person. So they'll have specialists. I, if you've ever been through the medical system, you understand that you're sort of um, shuffled from specialist to specialist. And when it's not just your heart or just your blood or just your endocrine system, they're stumped. But this particular clinic said, at least we'll evaluate you in one room with all of these specialists. And so that was, that was a positive step, although nothing came of it. So... Um, I had a lot of time on my hands on my dad's couch, and um, I started just praying and, and researching all I could. I saw a lot of natural medicine uh, practitioners as well, who I found to be, um, on the whole, at least more interested in exploring alternatives. I met with a lot of really caring mainstream doctors who just didn't have the research. Um, or the freedom or flexibility to explore anything that was alternative. Unfortunately, though, I wasn't making much progress with the alternative doctors either. And so uh, a friend of mine was going down to see John of God in Brazil. And now, of course, you know, we don't really know what went on down there, but it's not pretty. But I'll just tell you my experience. Um, she took my name down there, and I was sitting at home um, during the time when she said that she went and spoke to him. And I felt something come over me, like kind of a wave of energy, but I didn't think much of it. And then uh, the next day, I came across an article that was written by a guy who called himself the medical medium, if any of you have heard of him. And, you know, he's become wildly popular, and I think some of his message has gotten lost, but the main part of his message, and if you've ever had an autoimmune disorder or known somebody who has, and if you don't already, unfortunately you probably will, given the rate that these are increasing. Um, the first thing that they tell you, if they get a chance in the seven minute appointment you have with the doctor, or you go and Google it later, autoimmune disorders mean that your body's attacking itself. And here Anthony William, the medical medium, was saying, that's not true, your body loves you unconditionally, it will never attack itself. And what is actually autoimmune is a virus that you can get rid of, and here's the protocol. And within three weeks, I was healthy and back to work. So, after you have a long illness and you recover, there's an initial elation, and then there's a reckoning, 
which is why did that happen? And why couldn't the 30 specialists, the best doctors we could get into at the time, have anything to say about this? There's, I almost, I liken it to PTSD, which is why did that happen? And how can we prevent that from happening to other people? And so I reflected just on my work experiences and then my experiences through the medical system. And I couldn't help but find parallels between how we work and how we take care of ourselves. And um, the, the culture of work that prevents us from finding the answers um, in the medical system, but then in finance, in education, in um, insert industry here. I started seeing patterns, and I came at it, of course, through one lens, but I could see how this was playing out across all the other industries that I had worked in, um, including Silicon Valley. I just didn't have a language for how to describe it. I knew that something was missing. I had some kind of sense that it had something to do with the missing feminine, femin, feminine <laughs> in all of us. Um, and what happened while I was home recovering was I started cooking dinner for my dad every night and taking care of his dog and helping him out in his garden. And it was weird because I really, really liked it. And I felt like there was something, it, it, it was strange because I had been such an achiever, so, so um, wrapped up in our culture's markers of success. Um, and then here I was kind of enjoying the nurturing aspect of myself and taking care of other people. And it was the first time I realized, like, I really enjoy this. But so how do I go back into the real world of work? First of all, I'm gonna tell people that a guy named Medical Medium healed me <laughs> from my illness. And um, second of all, how do I, how do I take these, um, this new perspective and then just act like everything's cool? Like go back into executive search, interviewing these people who are largely clearly unhappy. Um, how is this all gonna coalesce? So I came across a book in January 2017 written by a woman called Guru Jagat. The book is called Invincible Living. Shameless plug for Modern Mystic, it's 25% off in the back corner. I highly recommend it. But Guru Jagat is a woman um, not that much older than me who had taken it upon herself to step up and be a leader. And she wrote a book about her passion, which is Kundalini Yoga. And within nine months, I had moved to study with her in Los Angeles. She was the only person talking about how to really integrate the worlds of spirituality in our daily life. Before, these two things had been at odds. There was my secret life where I was taking medical advice from a medium. <laughs> and then there was this really masculine driven uh, business world. And through Kundalini Yoga and, and Guru Jagat's teachings, which come from Yogi Bhajan, who brought Kundalini to the West in the 1960s, um, but they're ancient teachings. Some are thousands and thousands of years old. Kundalini Yoga, if you don't know it, it's essentially uh, four parts. It's breath work, it's mantra, it's physical yoga, and it's meditation. And Guru Jagat was a modern businesswoman. She ran, she really runs an empire today, including uh, sh shops, an e-commerce store, an online channel. She was really um, 
running a business, but also with consciousness and, and helping people. And I was really fascinated by that. So I bring her up because she is an example of somebody as is medical medium. These are people who could have stayed quiet. They have um, extremely potent gifts. Neither, neither of them have said it this way, but both of them could probably stay quiet and make a lot of money serving the celebrities who are knocking down their doors to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. But they really put themselves out there in a mainstream way by writing books, by becoming accessible um, to people. And that's because they knew that we need it. And uh, may they inspire all of you, because every single one of you has a mission and a message that somebody else needs to hear. And by holding that back, it's essentially breaking an agreement. In Kundalini Yoga, we say that people uh, incarnate to learn from specific people, and that we've all sort of made these agreements to come in and share our gifts. And so uh, not fulfilling that is very painful, not only to you, uh, but to the people who are supposed to learn from you. So I'm very grateful to Guru Jagat and the medical medium for, for stepping up. And th those are my teachers, but that doesn't mean they have to be yours. In fact, there will probably be unique teachers that you are meant to learn from. What happens is, from a young age, we're taught to tune out our, our personal feelings about things. And, you know, our parents get a bad rap <laughs> because they were just doing the best they knew how to do. But, and it's true that we have to learn how to live in 3D and how to live in this world. And that requires discipline. It requires understanding how the world works. And our parents want to teach us that. And the school system wants to teach us that. But the problem is we've cut ourselves off from half of our power by cutting ourselves off from our intuition and the feminine side in all of us across genders. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like starting from a very young age when you're in school and you're a little bit spirited and energetic, and this happens, if you remember, um, especially to young boys, is that um, you know, you're, you're quickly put back in line and you quickly learn that you're going to get a gold star if you follow the status quo. Um, and we know that our schools were started by people like Henry Ford who needed factory workers, and so he needed widgets, essentially. And um, there are pockets of innovation in education in all of the industries I mentioned. And so we've got a real opportunity here. But for most of us you know, who are sitting in this room or listening, we went through a very, um, we'll call it masculine-oriented, linear kind of schooling. And so then you're at your college graduation at the age of 22, and the speaker is telling you to follow your passion. And you're saying, I don't know what the hell I'm passionate about. I've just tried, uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to get good grades for the last 12 years. Like, I, you know, I don't even know what that means. Um, and so while that is useful advice, by that age, we've forgotten how to even get in touch with that. And then the responsibilities set in. And, you know, there are career paths where we want you to be linear. If you're going to be a surgeon, <laughs> we, we want you to have taken a few classes. Um, so no problem, but we've taken that model and we've applied it to every single career path. And um, nowhere did I see this more than in my executive recruiting days. We're not kind to people who take the time to explore and who jump around a little bit and maybe work in different industries. Um, 
we had a term for that in recruiting, which was jumpy, as in she's not right for this, way too jumpy. Um, but even outside of that very linear world, um, there, is, there can be a lot of judgment and shame for not excelling early on, picking one career path and sticking to it. Even if you want to become a doctor or insert you know, other linear career path, you can do that and become the doctor and then you can pivot. All of these things are, are on the table and we're, we're slowly waking up to that. Um, but I think the question still remains for many people is how? And um, if you've ever read The Great Cosmic Mother, <laughs> which I highly recommend, um, it's, you know, it's one point of view, but you could say that about all of our history books, that they're one point of view. And The Great Cosmic Mother invites us to consider another point of view about our history, which was very, very violent toward the feminine. We've heard about the witch trials, but we rarely hear about how extensive they were. Um, these were not, they were not just burning women who were casting spells. They were burning women who offered their children herbs for their colds, or women who wanted to sing, um, or women who in any way wanted to nurture, or had a cat. <laughs> so any, any way that women were out of line, of course, this goes for men too, um, who wanted to express the feminine side of themselves in one way, they were systematically exterminated. And this happened up to um, four or 500 years ago, really not that long ago. So in our DNA, there's a deep, deep fear about what will happen if we step out of line. In our country, at least, people aren't getting burned at the stake. They're getting trolled on social media, <laughs> which can be quite painful. But that's the, that is the modern day witch hunt. If you start to rise out of your own prison, so to speak, just to, just to make it a little dramatic, um, others who have not done the same, they're programmed to dislike you. And I can't sugarcoat it. They're programmed to hate you. So I'm not going to discount that there are risks to um, stepping out of a, a prescribed path and, and doing something a little bit different. It will cause a shakeup. You will get tested. Your relatives will ask you, you know, why you're shirking your responsibility or, you know, the haters will come out, like my teacher, <laughs> Gouda Jugget says. Um, I love how she puts it. A gale force of freaks and haters will come out. <laughs> so that's just table stakes. And I, I like to talk about it because I think um, it normalizes the experience and it's like, yeah, that's going to happen. It's not, a, it's not because you did something wrong. But I think if we can expect it a little bit, it lessens the blow. So um, not to say, you know, you should fear the worst, but I, I think it's important to talk about the risks that we're up against. Because while it sounds so beautiful to say, there's fulfilling work out there for you, and you're going to make a lot of money doing it, and, and that is your birthright, um, if it were that easy, we would all do it. I'm not promising that it will be easy, but I am promising that it will make for a much more fulfilled life. And because of the um, astrological... Uh, pressures that we are um, up against, especially in this first month of 2020, and because of the pole shift and because of the change of the age 
out of the Kali Yuga, which you can do a little research into. Um, the pressure has never been higher. If you don't do the work that you're meant to do, it's going to get very, very uncomfortable. In a sense, it's time. And a lot of people are feeling it. Um, I work with women all the time who are feeling it and who say, uh, you know, if I don't do this, if I don't figure this out, um, my health is going to suffer, my relationships are going to suffer, and just the anxiety level becomes really high. The pressure is on, and that's a good thing. This is an evolutionary pressure that's on all of us to um, push us out of really what in no other way can be described as a patriarchal age that we've all really suffered under um, into a new, not matriarchal age. Kelly and I know a, a very sophisticated evolutionary astrologer and, and, and you know, sit with this and see if it resonates, but her feeling and her, she has deduced that 26,000 years ago we had a matriarchal age and that didn't go so well either. We really messed it up and abused our power. Interesting perspective, um, but we're not moving into a matriarchal age. We're moving into an integrated age where all of us can use both logic and intuition, both our left and right brain, both the masculine and the feminine, and it's going to be really exciting. I don't think we can even begin to picture the kind of golden age that we could create if we are at our most creative. And Often it feels like the responsibility is just on us. You know, um, it would be so wonderful if some of the corporations that really set the tone for, for the broader business world would evolve in the sense of, you know, treating us like human beings, giving mothers, you know, as much maternity leave as we mandate for puppies uh, or for dogs. Um, you know, just some common sense type of things. And we are seeing that, but for most of us, that's not happening fast enough. So in the spirit of integration, I'm not discounting the organizational change that does need to happen, and it may be your personal mission to lobby for some of that and to work on some of that. But I also want to empower you by reminding you how much individual power that we have. And it can be so frustrating if you're sitting in a cubicle or the metaphorical equivalent of a cubicle wondering, how the hell you're going to get out of it, and how you could possibly find what you're meant to do. Um, that's something I hear a lot, which is, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know this isn't it. And Elizabeth Gilbert uh, writes this um, about people who just walk away from something, which is, I don't know what it is, but I know this isn't it. And there are times in life when that's, that's the move. That's absolutely what you have to do. But my invitation to you is to consider what is right in front of you and how that can lay the groundwork. It may not be, and likely will not be, your ultimate highest purpose. Most of our workplaces, modern mystic definitely excluded, most of our workplaces are not evolved. You're feeling pain and frustration when you're in them because you have an evolved consciousness that is a mismatch to an environment that is still treating you like a widget. So you can uh, honor yourself for that and uh, know that there's nothing wrong with you. However, there's so much that you can do. And my invitation to you, both as a way to serve others, but also to ultimately find that work you're meant to do, 
is to view yourself as a leader in any role. It doesn't matter what your title is, it doesn't matter if you manage other people or if you work for yourself, it doesn't matter if you're in the home. You are a leader, and the more that you can step into feeling as though, um, as our teacher, Gurdjagat, says, you are the cure, you're going to have so much more personal autonomy, and it's gonna open up um, the next chapter for you. And what do I mean by you are the cure? What I mean by that is that if you have some kind of consciousness or spiritual practice, um, you're literally vibrating at a, at a healing and curative level. And if you start to embody that, not because you're grandiose and you think you're, you know, gonna fix everything, but as a gift to everyone around you, you can elevate any workplace. You can elevate the person, anybody who's in front of you. And my premise is that that is step one to finding your purpose. We live in a grass is always greener culture. There are people who are always looking for the next job and then somehow strangely find themselves creating the same patterns that they, that they um, created in the last job. If you're aware and sort of sensitive to these things, you'll notice sometimes our workplaces start to eerily resemble our family structures <laughs> and our bosses. Um, we've got the same complaints with them as we did with our, you know, our parents and so forth. And all of that can really be uh, disrupted, but consider that it may be easiest and fastest for your evolutionary growth to work it out with whoever's in front of you rather than reactively jumping ship and looking for the next role. This is why I am such a believer in kundalini yoga, although there are, there are many paths to this. But meditation is no longer an option, and we're lucky that there are so many methods if just sitting there and closing your eyes doesn't work for you, it never worked for me. But in order to break down the subconscious thoughts that are keeping us trapped, we've gotta become more aware. Kundalini yoga is the yoga of awareness. And that is maybe step two <laughs> uh, to finding your purpose, which is becoming incredibly aware, even if it hurts. You're aware of which parts of your job you enjoy, which ones you don't, why something is annoying you, why that coworker is frustrating you, and then what, what patterns are replaying so that you're, um, you're running into this situation again and again. You know, there's that legend that Moses led his people to freedom, but then he waited a generation um, to start rebuilding because the generation that he had led out of, of um, slavery was still in that mindset. So even though they were free, they knew nothing else. And so he waited for the next generation because at least they were a little bit more pliable. And the, the prison doors were open basically, but they didn't have the mindset to even see anything new. And that's where a lot of us get stuck because we haven't seen examples of anything new. We don't even know what an expanded working life could look like. Um, so the first piece, like I mentioned, is making it not about you, but how can I serve? How can I elevate the person in front of me? If you work in a call center, you can make all of those calls much more smooth. If you're a lawyer, you are helping people through very stressful times in their lives. If you're a healer or a doctor, you know, I don't have to tell you how, um, you know, useful your, your presence can be. But in any job, there is a way that you can elevate the entire workplace. 
uh, and serve the person in front of you. And what that's going to give you is so much more energy to start to see new possibilities. So it's selfish and it's selfless, but it's really going to help you um, just for, forget it, take, take yourself out of it. Make it sort of less personal. There's something that wants to run through you. There's something that wants to work through you. There's an archetype that wants to come out because it's gonna serve humanity and help us evolve and get us out of this mess. And um, much of our work is about getting out of the way so that that thing can work through us and start speaking to us and start animating us so that we can do that, that work that we came here to do. Yogi Bhajan, who, who brought Kundalini to the West, as I mentioned, had an interesting perspective. And again, these things will resonate you for you or not, and only if they give you energy should you take them away. But he said that 80% of the people who come onto this planet don't complete their mission. And you can see as they age, they get more and more frustrated. And that's when you get the midlife crisis. That's when you get elderly people who, um, you know, they're just sitting around waiting to die, basically. 18% have a really good chance. 2% um, have to. So they come in, they're clear, they're very old souls, it's gonna get done. There are 18% of us who have a real chance if we can get out of our own way. Food for thought. Um, but the way, that we, the way that we do that is by essentially, rather than going out and looking for it, clearing away any blocks to it, it working through us. In some ways, this is work that's in total opposition to the work that you've been taught how to do. The intellectual work of figuring it out. It's the opposite. It's that intuitive side of you. Um, and again, meditation and yoga can be so critical. But what does this look like? What if you're in an extremely linear career path, but you're secretly an artist? Like, how could you possibly ever bridge those two? And if you have a family, how can you, um, the, the, the choices that are in front of us or that we have, have thought of in the age we sort of came from is you can have a responsible career path and make good money, or you can be an artist and creative and starve, and there's no in between. And to a certain extent, even though we see more and more examples of people um, who have bridged that gap, it's still deep in our psyche. There's a real terror that if we um, take any kind of risk, we could lose it all. And the United States doesn't make it that easy because in some ways that's kind of how we're set up, you know, for, for better or for worse. And maybe it's, it's karmic and we all chose these parameters to work with. Um, but it is, there aren't many safety nets, so it's high stakes. I believe we all have a personal collective mission right now, and that is to bridge the gap between the left and right, the intuitive, the intellectual, and the masculine and the feminine, and we're meant to be prosperous. And that's something we haven't seen in people who follow that, that sort of right brain, um, that creative and intuitive sides of themselves. Um, but it's something that all of us are tasked with bringing on the planet. And that integration can be found in any work that you do. So, um, and I, I, my uncle, who's been a, a CEO of, of several companies, told me this, and it really has stuck with me, and I share it with you because I hope it's inspiring. He said you can really build anything in 10 years. So if you want to become a doctor, you can do that in 10 years. If you want to become a fashion designer, I mean, you could be a relevant, even major player in 10 years if you focused on this every day with steadiness and consistency. And I mean, what were you doing 10 years ago? I mean, don't you wish you started then? 
And there may be, especially when you start a, a consciousness or spirituality practice, there is um, a detox period that can be painful. Many of you may have experienced that, where the old life is sort of um, falling away a bit. And it can take a year or two, or, or there's no real timeline. This could be ongoing. But I would just invite you to consider, um, is it worse if you don't do that? You can spare a year or two. And if you do have a family, you've got responsibilities, it will look a little bit different, but it doesn't have to be a handicap. I mean, that can be a very motivating force as well. So um, there are different ways to play with this. And I will offer you some examples um, in case these resonate or inspire you. Uh, a dear friend of mine is a scientist, a very, you know, a real scientist. She has a PhD in biosciences. And she enjoys the work, she's very good at it. She's also a prolific artist. And um, she's been very open now, she tells her story, but um, she felt a lot of judgment from, the, from her old professors, from her family, for wanting to explore this side of herself. I mean, the, the, you don't earn a PhD and then go do art, is what she thought. I mean, I've invested this money, I've invested this time, I need to be inventing, you know, a cure for cancer, or I need to somehow be applying this degree. It's not okay for me to have earned that degree and not be applying it in some way. Um, but she really sat with that for a long time and realized that ultimately she got a PhD in biosciences because she wanted to help people. She's really passionate about public health. And um, she started realizing through her art and through teaching art, she was really helping people. And to the point where they weren't needing to, you know, to, to go take that medication or, or whatever that she was working on, kind of on, on the, the one side. And she, became, she, she was more at peace with how her work was ultimately serving her broader goal. She really did have to, um, you know, let go a lot of a lot of that old programming and realize what the ultimate goal was. And that's something that I would invite you to do as well, is to... Um, understand that ultimate goal. And if you can't fill one in the blank, let me fill one in for you, which is that we are here to elevate each other and to serve each other. And you're gonna have your own flavor and something's gonna work through you um, that does that and you, that may not have revealed itself yet. But here's how it happens. Every book that you wanna read, every coffee meeting that you wanna take, every course you wanna take, um, every talk you wanna go to and you can't explain why, those are cl clues, and they may seem small at first, but that is how you start to get in touch with your intuition. That's how you start trusting your intuition and building a relationship with it, so that it starts to talk to you about the bigger things. And all of those things that are giving you energy, whether it's even starting a healthy eating plan, or an exercise plan, or reading books by people that light you up, the more energy you have, the more that opportunities can reach you, the more your awareness starts to grow. So you're not like slapping up, you know, batting opportunities away, which is what happens to a lot of us because we don't have the energy um, to notice them. We, are, we don't have the relationship with our intuition, which will say, hey, I know there's no reason for you to buy this book, but I really want you to. And then, you know, it starts you on a course of study that introduces you to people that have opportunities for you that are so in alignment. Um, so it's, 
as much as we all wish we had a blueprint, it is unveiled. And um, Kelly and I were at a uh, yoga immersion a couple weeks ago in New York. The 81-year-old CEO of Pratima Skincare, which is an Ayurvedic skincare line um, out of New York, but, but now it's global. And she's had her, her trials and tribulations, but she's built a very successful business. And she reminded us of something we hear a lot, but for whatever reason doesn't sink in. And she said, you've got to just enjoy every step of the journey because there's always another goal. There are always more things that you want to do. You never get to a point where you say, I've done it all, I'm done. So you have to enjoy every piece of it. And I know that when you're in the job that doesn't seem like it is the highest expression of your creativity, it can be so painful and so frustrating and so tough to see a way out. Um, but you just, you, you start step by step. And it may feel like baby steps, but when you start to face the direction that you want to go in, when you set that intention, it, you start slow, and then it starts snowballing, and it can happen so much more quickly than you think. And it may be that you stay at your job, but you have a completely different experience of it, which happens to a lot of people. It may be that you work on your side project that's such an inspiring creative outlet to you that it actually gives you, the, you energy. So rather than being a source of stress that you're working on two things at once, you're so energized by your creative output that your life starts to expand. Time and space starts to expand to encompass them both. Uh, or it may be that you wake up one morning and say, I can't go in that place one more time, I'm done. <laughs> and these are all fine and they're all possibilities. Um, but the keys are awareness, the keys are autonomy, and also um, creativity. You've got to be creating something. And so another thing that you can do if you're absolutely stuck is um, something creative. And it may feel awkward at first, it may be you go to an art class or a photography class that you, you realize uh, you don't really resonate with, but it starts the ball rolling. Creativity is the cure. Um, personal creativity is what's missing in a lot of the jobs on offer today. And um, the world needs your creations. The world needs you to be fulfilled. It's the best way that you can serve the people around you. Um, like I said, there are many, many people interest, interested in this. The future is bright, uh, and you can really be part of um, creating that uh, more fulfilling new working world. So with that, I wonder, we've got a few minutes. I'd love to take any questions. Please. <laughs> That's okay. Not with a plate full. They gave me the mic and I just, uh, yeah, I went for it. <laughs> Please. Mm-hmm. It's a really good question. He's wondering how my, you know, I, I got this college degree and that gave me access really to this job where I got to be a fly on the wall, or how much did it give me access? Um, I, in my organization, there were 
people who did not have college degrees. That's what I loved about being an executive search. There wasn't really a barrier to entry. So even though um, it was, it could have been a very you know, lucrative and high profile career path, in a way it was a meritocracy so that there were people who didn't, you know, who didn't have those. But certainly um, my college experience, uh, even, even now to see some of my peers and their experiences, it definitely gave me access to a, just to be able to observe more career paths and, and that sort of that sort of thing, yeah. Any other questions? So since this, oh, please. So how can you go back to normal after you find your spiritual path? Do you mean? Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. So um, I realized that the only way that I would be able to have a fulfilling working life is if I was my authentic self and talked about things like the medical medium publicly or talked about kundalini yoga publicly that I, I had to um, uh, I had to include that, but not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So there is a lot of value to the experiences that we have. It, it, even if it seems completely different from the job you'd like to do, wherever you are, you're, you're learning things that are gonna help you, even if it's just discipline and organizational skills or observing how your company does marketing. You know, all those things, we, we need those linear skills as well. To, sur to survive in the world, um, and they can be very satisfying. That's the masculine part of all of us that we also you know, have to value. Um, but for me, I, I had to integrate the two parts and just be myself, and it's, it's paid off. Um, you know, my, my calendar as a business coach and career advisor filled up pretty immediately because other people are interested in, in doing the same. So it, it's, about, it's about being your, your full self unapologetically. Does that help? Thank you. Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. The world works in mysterious ways because you can go really far off path and it's still helping you so much. I mean, you can be in a job that just feels like such a mismatch and it, and it likely, you know, maybe it is if you feel that way, but the things that you're learning all, always, I always see that those things are helpful. And I think what happens is people, you know, get into yoga or spirituality and, and they um, overcorrect for a little bit, which, which can be healthy. You know, they, they've sort of been in the masculine and they want to explore this spiritual side to themselves. And so they think, I'm going to have to go be a psychic reader in Sedona. I, I don't have any other choice. Um, and then they, they realize, um, and, and, and I think it's actually healthy to spend some time in, in that space and, and, and rebalance a bit. But I find that um, people generally use in some way that they never ever thought. Like they're so desperate to get away from the day job, but then somehow it merges into 
things they couldn't even have intellectualized or, or, or come up with, whether it's their own consulting business or they go work for like a really amazing company that's really energizing to them that they couldn't have dreamed up. Um, so I, I do find that in some way um, that previous experience is, is useful. Even if it becomes a totally expanded, different line of work, they're, they're drawing on their other experiences. Please. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. So he's asking if, you know, I talked a lot about American business. Is this easier elsewhere? Um, and I find that uh, everywhere you go, there you are. And so if we, if we have um, a mindset that's limiting in some way, if we aren't aware, then we can sometimes recreate that. Now, if you've reached a level of awareness about what you need and so forth, definitely, I think, I think the best way that happens, though, is if you're drawn somewhere. I find that if we go out and seek or intellectually think to ourselves, this will be better because it works in this way, um, I find people have a lot more success in, in um, being pulled to a place or, or out of the blue an opportunity comes in another country. Like those opportunities become magnetized to you once you become at the, the, the same frequency as they are. Um, and then a part of me, you know, I, I'm, there's always a negative and positive polarity. I'm somewhat patriotic about the American work ethic in, in a way uh, because I do think doing our right work um, that's, that's when we're absolutely happiest. So it's just a matter of using the culture in the right way. Um, but I do think, I, I think it's interesting that the, it, it, it's a particular karma, is my personal opinion, that we've got here in the States that we're, that we're working with. That's a good question. Thank you. One more. Okay. I'd like to, yes. That's why I talked about social media trolls. Um, no, but, but so to, re to um, how I understand your question is, um, you know, some people want the, the feminine to take over entirely, the men made a mess of it, so, you know, let the women take over, future is female, so forth, and then I'm, I'm talking about sort of an integration. And um, 
I actually think at the core of it, we're all, we're, we're all, we are talking about the same thing. When, when you really break it down, m my conversation maybe isn't even in that realm. It's um, one of evolution. And m my um, opinion is that when we, all of us, regardless of gender, um, bridge the masculine and feminine within ourselves, that's when we're going to start to create um, what Chogim Trungpa Rinpoche called enlightened society. And so it, it's really not, um, it's not us versus them. We're, we've all suffered under, you know, um, take the masculine feminine equation out of it. We, we've just been working with half of our deck. And my invitation is to work with the, the full deck. We've got one more. Do we have time or? Okay. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, please, please do. Thank you so much for coming. If you can, if you want to get a snack and stick around, I'm um, I'm doing a workshop at 1 p.m. where we can really work more directly and one-on-one -on, -one on your work and how we can maybe um, at least get you started on that path to something a little more inspiring. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.